the poetic imagery in this 35th chapter of Isaiah is unsurpassed. It is a picture of the glory and happiness that characterize a ransomed people returning to the city of their God. The theme of the chapter is a higher way of holiness. A person who yields to the filling of the Holy Spirit can find the deserts of life made into gardens. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come and save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This evening, <clears throat> I'd like to invite you to take a journey with me back into history, to a time and a place where we find two men in conflict with one another. One of those men is Saul, anointed by the prophet Samuel as the king of Israel. The other man is David, who has also been anointed by uh, Samuel as the next king of Israel. At this point, we find Saul once again continuing his search for his son-in-law, David, to kill him and his men. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel to set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. 
His, the man said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father... Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well. But I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good that you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home 
And David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's turn our attentions to the words of David as he prays to our Lord in Psalm 139. We truly hear his heartbeat. I have made this a prayer of my life, and I pray that God's will be done and it becomes a prayer of your life as well. O oh God, Investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I am an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I am thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back, I am never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you are there. Then up ahead, you are there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? If I climb the sky, you are there. If I go underground, you are there. If I flew on the morning wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, Oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I am immersed in the light. It's a fact darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. Oh God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Oh, let me rise in the morning and live always in your presence. Investigate my life, O oh God. Find out everything about me.
cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I am about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Amen. I've entitled my reading for this evening, The Worst and Best of Times. For you see, the Apostle Peter's relationship with Jesus was at times a roller coaster of emotions. The day he was called to be a fisher of men would be like reaching that peak of the first hill. The descent could be compared to Christ's reprimand of Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Then there was the euphoria of witnessing Jesus' transformation on the summit. But this, too, would be followed with a plunge in emotions Peter felt when on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. After they had finished supper, Jesus said, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going you cannot follow. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I would lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. When they had sung a hymn, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't even know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. 
he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. And he went outside and wept bitterly. But Jesus believed in Peter. Earlier he had said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And now, some days later, on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus appeared to Peter and some other disciples. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. As the Apostle Paul's passion to take the gospel to the Gentiles increased, so did the political heat around him. On the brink of being flogged, he claimed Roman citizenship and found himself repeatedly making his defense before various members of the courts. In this passage in Acts chapter 26, we see a passionate presentation of the gospel that should resound in each of our hearts as Paul makes his fifth such defense before King Agrippa. Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, from which, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. 
since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even to foreign cities. While so engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day, testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light, both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. 
for the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The devil is always trying to tempt us to deny our Lord. Since Jesus was tempted in the desert by the devil, he understands our predicament, though, and shows us how to face temptation with victory. Jesus shows us how to be delivered in temptation. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said to Jesus, All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, 
and angels came and attended him. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. If God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face temptations of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of temptations. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Well, praise the Lord. Someone has said, A new impression of the word is given by passing it through human lips which have been taught to voice it with the clearness, dignity, and beauty it deserves. Perhaps these readings have given you a whole new perspective on the power and the potential of the spoken word. These readers tonight and others who have enrolled in the oral interpretation speech class have been challenged to capture the strength of God's word through the human voice. And I'm proud of them tonight. I think maybe we should take a few minutes to recognize their skills and the ministry that they have had to us in this chapel service. It's a joy for me to give to each of them tonight a certificate of recognition and uh, it does have the seal of the college on it. And it says, Certificate of Recognition. This certificate is hereby awarded to, and their name is inscribed, in recognition of achievement in public reading of Scripture and participation in the Oak Bible Reading Award Program. On the fifth day of April, 2005, 
at Nazarene Bible College, Colorado Springs, Colorado. It is a beautiful uh, certificate of recognition. I want each of them to come forward, and I'd like to hand those to them. And while they come, maybe you'd like to express your appreciation to them for their ministry to you tonight. Would you like to do that? I've asked Dr. Stelting, our Vice President for Academic Affairs, to come and pray the benediction, and then you'll be dismissed. With our hands, we have grasped and unfolded the word. With our eyes, we have searched and read comprehension. With our minds, we have understood and ordered his word in our hearts. We have preserved and cherished the word. And now, O oh Lord, may the words of our hearts, our mouths, and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Would you take us from here, take us from here so that we might live your word and interpret it to a world hungry and lost. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.